Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that we're here this morning. We pray that you would remove from us any distractions that may be in our way of seeing clearly the Lord Jesus, who suffered on our behalf, but was not abandoned to the grave. He was buried, but the third day, you resurrected him to new, uncorruptible, indestructible life. And that not only you raised him, but you seated him in the heavens at your right hand, with all powers subject to him. So that whatever powers we may see or think we see in the world around us, we know that above them is Jesus, our Lord, but also our friend, our brother and our God. And so that no matter what we may suffer in our lives, we have a hope inside of us that burns brightly because of Jesus and because of the hope of the gospel that's within us. God, make these things more plain to us from today's scripture and as we consider how we can share this very good news with people that we love and know. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and all of us together say, Okay, so today we are going to continue in our sermon series called Public Faith. And even though for the next, uh, this week and next week, this little three-week period that began last week, we're going to talk about public faith and then move on to our Easter series of Empty, we're going to come back to public faith several times throughout the year because we're convinced this is a very important part of Christian living and discipleship. We defined public faith last week very simply as that we have relationships with people in which we're sharing our hope with them and that we're trusting the Holy Spirit to lead in that. So it's not our power, our initiative, our ideas. It is God's divine appointments. When He allows a conversation to take place or when He gives us a chance to listen, Last week we gave you a handout, and hopefully some of you kept that in your Bible and brought it back with you this week, because in just a few minutes after looking at the scripture, we're going to fill in a few more parts of the handout. But let me show you, in case you weren't here last week, or need a quick refresher, uh, the part that we shared last week, which is what we call the parking lot. This is not numbers one through six on the worksheet, this was just blank space on the bottom or on the back if you needed room. And I'll repeat what I said last week. As we look at this great scripture from 1 Peter that says, share the hope that you have, we're not trying to tell anybody how you have to share your hope in any particular instance. How could I ever know? How could any of us know what God's calling you to share in a particular moment? But we want to share ideas, maybe some practices, so we had shared these seven things. Let's be open as the people of God that we do worship and that we go to church. Let's listen to people in meaningful ways. Let's share how our faith has helped us through the suffering of life and the difficult things that we've gone through. Let's ask questions about what others believe and listen so that we can understand and learn about where they're coming from. Let's share what Jesus has done in our lives in the form of a testimony. This is where I was, and this is where he's brought me to, and where I know that he's still leading me. 
Let's ask questions at the right moment about what others think about Jesus and about Christianity. And maybe if God provides the opportunity, let's share good resources, a book or a video or some podcast or whatever that has helped you in your faith with someone else so that they have the opportunity to hear and to see and to interact with you about what you believe. The key to all of these seven that we put in the parking lot is that we're sharing our hope as the scripture teaches and that we're listening so that we're showing considerate behavior and kindness to others. So let's look at the text again. This was last week's verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And I want us to see it again because the verses that are new this week have to be held next to this verse. Peter wrote to a suffering church, even if you should suffer, for doing what is right, you are blessed. And so these people are dealing with some real fear. Maybe of imprisonment. Maybe that their property will be taken from them. Or maybe in the ways that you and I often feel that their reputation might be lowered in the eyes of others because they believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe that they'll be thought less of and talked about and slandered about. And so Peter says, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened, but the solution is to revere Christ more than we fear the threats of others. Putting Jesus, in other words, on the throne of our hearts, like he's already on the throne of the universe. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So last week we looked at this verse, but today we're moving into the verses after it. What is the reason for the hope that we have? This might be where a lot of people become confused about the heart of the Christian teaching. What is the reason for the hope that Christians have? Is it our behavior? Certainly not. We hope to be reformed and remade by Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit's working. But let's be honest. A lot of times our behavior is not impressive enough to merit the kind of life conversion we're asking someone to make. I wish that it were so. But the basis of our faith, the reason of our hope, is not our behavior. The basis of our hope and the heartbeat of Christianity is contained in these verses that Jeff read from 18 to 22. It is the Christian teaching that we call the gospel. And the gospel has been confused with many things. The gospel is sometimes uh, used or appropriated to say this is what this church teaches about certain ethical matters or moral issues. That's not the gospel. The gospel has sometimes been misappropriated to say this is what the plan of salvation is, what your response should be. That is not the gospel. That's your response. The gospel in antiquity and today always has and still means the character and kind of person that has become the ruler and what that person did to, to have the right to become the ruler. And so the gospel has always been, very simply, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And this is exactly what Peter will say in these verses. Look at them with me, verse 18 through 22. 
Peter wrote, for Christ also suffered. You see, the heart of the Christian teaching is that like you may fear suffering, Jesus did suffer. It was a real event. He suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I find that this comes up in conversations all of the time when someone becomes a Christian and they, want, they wonder, they wish, I wish that I was as far along the Christian faith as, and then they have their hero of faith. They say, I wish I look, my life looked like that. And my response, more and more consistently the longer I've been in ministry, is this. Why should you be surprised that our starting point is that we're not so good at being Christians? And why would we be surprised that anybody else is better at Christian living than we are? We weren't saved because we were good. We were saved because we were bad and needed saving and Jesus was good and could provide salvation. He suffered once to bring you to God. The righteous for the unrighteous. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. This is the first part, the Friday part of the gospel. That what happened that day when Jesus was betrayed and arrested and cruelly beaten and murdered in a terrible way, as Jeff pointed out for us this morning, and buried, was that Jesus earned his right to be the ruler and Lord of the universe and your heart because his suffering was for a purpose. His suffering was to win you, to bring you to God. You see, this is what Peter is doing with the gospel teaching in 1 Peter 3. Peter is saying, you don't want to suffer, but you will. So do not suffer meaninglessly. You do not want to suffer, but we all will suffer. So find in your suffering, whatever it may be, the loss of a loved one, the loss of reputation, the onset of disease. Find in your suffering a meaning, a hope that is greater, that goes beyond the suffering. Find in your suffering the meaning that Jesus discovered. Jesus' suffering was for a purpose, to win you to God. And your suffering can be for a purpose too. To live in the hope and shining the light of Jesus into a world of darkness that suffers a lot and needs meaningful sufferers. Peter will continue then in these next verses on a digression that to many of us is very confusing. And I want to say about these verses in the middle, uh, there, there is some really great questions There's some very good questions that can be asked about these verses and what they mean. Let me read them, and I'll talk about a few of the questions, but we can't do all of it today, okay? Peter says, so after Jesus was made alive, in his spirit, as he just had said, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. See, the questions begin. What imprisoned spirits? When were they imprisoned? Where did they come from? Is there some hope for them or not? Okay, all these questions. He went and proclaimed to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. So Peter 
knowing his Hebrew Bible very well, is jumping back to this event when God had flooded the world because of all the wickedness in it and wiped out a lot of humanity. And Noah, who was the only one that listened to God's instruction, built an ark, built this boat, got in it with his family. They floated around for a long time on the stormy seas and then landed on a mountain and they were delivered by God out onto dry land and they repopulated the earth. Okay, the story of Noah and the ark. Many of you have known it since childhood. And Peter's looking back to that story and he's borrowing from that story a message about suffering and about deliverance and about hope. He says that God was patient in the days of Noah. Do you remember how long it took Noah to build that ark and how long he proclaimed the truth that God was going to enact judgment but there was hope for anybody who would listen? It's like a century of work that he did. Most of us don't even live that long. And think about being ridiculed and rejected by other people and laughed at by others for a century of your life. Noah knew great suffering and rejection like the Christians to whom Peter was writing. But God was patient during this time while the ark was being built. And in it a few people, eight in all, that's Noah's family, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes, now Peter comes rushing back into the present of Christian teaching and of what Jesus did to become Lord of the universe. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. You see, Jesus was also baptized, as it says in the scriptures, to fulfill all righteousness. Reenacting the entrance into the promised land through the river Jordan with John, his cousin, the Baptist, baptizing him at that moment. And then Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, which fell on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights where he fasts. He suffers. You see, for Peter... These images, these events, these memories, they are woven closely together to form the, the crux of Christian teaching. All will suffer. Don't suffer meaninglessly. It says here that this baptism that now saves you is not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. And for 2,000 years, Christians have taught that when we submit to Jesus' lordship in baptism, we reenact his death by being plunged underneath the surface of the water, just like he was buried in the heart of the earth. And then we're brought victoriously back up out of the water so that we can live in new life with God, as it says in Romans 6. In other words, we aren't people who just talk about the gospel. We're people who act it out. We're kinetic believers. We obey through a pattern of faith in which we pledge to make Jesus the Lord of our hearts and imitate him with our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. And we pledge ourselves to God. Peter continues in this way. In case anybody's confused about how baptism works or how it saves you, it's not because it you know, gets dirt off your body. That's just called a bath, right? This saves you because you participate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ through faith. 
the resurrection of Jesus. This is the Sunday part of the gospel. If he was killed Friday, did something that we don't have time to answer all the questions to unless we had a five or six part class on it where he goes to preach in prison spirits sometime on Saturday, I guess. Sunday he's raised. Sunday he comes back into the land of the living. And he's gone into heaven. He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Peter says, look at Jesus, his story, and how he became king of everything, and you will find the hope that you need for the times that you need to share it. Now, Peter is not the only person in the Scriptures who says that the gospel is the, is the foundational resource that the world is missing. When Peter wants to talk about suffering, he turns to the gospel. But when Paul wants to talk about the standard of church leadership in 1 Timothy 3, and he preaches about uh, elders and deacons, which we talked about and preached through a few weeks back, guess what he appeals to at the end of 1 Timothy 3? The mystery of godliness is great, and then he gives a presentation of the gospel, Jesus' incarnation, Resurrection, glorification, ascension. It's at the end of 1 Timothy 3. So Paul says, yeah, this will help you with suffering. It will also help you have the correct foundation for church leadership. In Ephesians 5, Paul will say the gospel is the foundation for fixing and having healthier marriages. The husbands and the wives, they're having trouble, they're struggling. Well, guess what? The husband looks at his wife and he chooses, based on the gospel, to say, just like Jesus laid his life down for the church, I will lay down my prerogatives and concerns for you, my wife, whom I love like Jesus loves the church. And the wife looks at the husband and says, just as the church is willing to serve and to follow Jesus as Lord of the universe, I am with you, I am committing my life to you as the head of our family like Jesus is the head of the church. Let's be in this together for the sake of the gospel. This is where Paul finds the power to transform our marriages. Paul will say in uh, Philippians 2, that the gospel has the power to heal church arguments and church divisions. I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to be of one mind. And he says to them, have the mind of Jesus Christ, who although he was in his nature God, didn't consider that something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, became a man, suffered in the human body, and then later was glorified by God, so that every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth would glorify him. The gospel heals racial divisions, according to Paul in Romans 6. In Romans 6, Paul's dealing with Jews and Gentiles who can't get along because of their racial issues in church, and they're taking it out theologically on each other with all these arguments about who becomes just in the sight of God. And he says, don't you know that all of us that were buried in baptism died to ourselves? And we were raised to live in a new life with Jesus. Imitating the gospel is the foundation for healing these tensions in every area of our life. We look to Jesus. Now how does a church apply these things and make them useful for our relationships and our conversations and our listening? We're making a few applications now on last week's worksheet. Thinking about the hope that's deeply rooted in us because of the gospel of Jesus. And what the way that we've chosen to illustrate this for you, uh, I think is a very great Bentonville way. 
uh, Bentonville is all about get out and play. And we have all these amazing bike trails and even more that are being built all the time. Just yesterday, Jenna and I enjoyed a nice long bike ride. We slept real well because we'd been out bike riding. So there's a lot of people bike riding around Bentonville. And we didn't want to have just a little, you know, just a little bike trail. We picked one that has six switchbacks. So we're going to fill in these six switchbacks, three today and three next week, because a bike trail that has any less than that just doesn't have any initiative, right? It needs to, it needs to have a little gumption to it. So we're going to move up through these, and here's the first one. And we've already talked about those seven parking lot ideas, that we're listening, we're, in, we're engaging people, we're listening to people. But let's say that you know you've got someone who's, who's listening to this hope within you, and you know the hope is the gospel of Jesus, and you want to share it a little further. How can you make some progress? We call this first switchback hospitality. Again, this doesn't mean they're progressive. It doesn't mean they're in order. The last thing we want the church to do is to go, okay, how do you make a Christian? Step one, hospitality, right? Step two, no. These are just, these are ideas. Hospitality in your home might mean making friends on your block, or if you're in a building, maybe on your floor, or in your building within the complex. There's so many ways that you can do this, and your creativity would be better than mine, so I don't want to stifle your creativity. But one example that's been given to me is uh, someone who lives in an apartment building who from time to time will take a little a gift of some goodies in a little sack with a nice note on it and they'll tie it on each door handle throughout their uh, floor. And it'll have a note on it that says we're having a you know, kind of a reception or a little a cookout on this date and everybody's invited to come and please come. And they'll have some people come and they simply welcome people with hospitality into their home. Isn't that a nice idea? It might mean... Uh, throwing a little block party in your neighborhood or doing something like that. But again, the creativity really is yours. Think about the power of hospitality. Think about the fact that when Jesus was in the middle of his ministry to become king of the universe, more frequently than any other activity he ate with people, because he knew this would open doors for conversation, for listening, for dialogue, and all the things that are to come. So, you know, if you're filling this in or filling it in later, just write in there hospitality and then start filling in some of your ideas. And this isn't, this isn't come to our house, we're going to give a presentation on the gospel. This is just eating with people. But the second switchback we like to call Christianity at work. Christianity at work. And as many of you know, it's much harder in your work to get in there and say anything meaningful about Jesus than it is in my work. They literally pay me to get ready to talk about Jesus all week long. And in your jobs, they might stop paying you if you talked about Jesus too much. So Christianity at work, the second switchback, here's what we mean by that. There's a lot of meaningful things that a Christian can do to let the hope start bleeding out, start flowing out, start overflowing, like showing but not telling how Christianity contributes to society and to well-being. If we had some more time today but we don't, I would retell a few of the stories about how the early Christians were the first ones to make hospitals, how the early Christians were the ones who really started what we now know as adoption, where they would go out and they would take unwanted children and bring them into their homes and raise them, how Christians were the ones who stayed in towns when the plague would come, and everyone else with means and income would flee, but the Christian people, both the wealthy ones and the poor ones, would stay in town and uh, care for these sick and dying people and often end up suffering themselves. It wasn't just that Christians just proclaimed the gospel and said, you know, Jesus died for you and was raised for you, 
and they skipped right to the end, now you should believe. It was that they said, Jesus died for you, and so will we. And then people began to believe. See, this is how Christianity shows itself kinetically and doesn't just declare itself in words. So often we want to skip right to the end. It's like the best way to convert somebody would be to go out and do an evangelistic Bible study. Let's door knock, let's present Jesus in 10 minutes, and then you know, let's try to get them in and baptize them. And that, there's a place for that. There's a place for that. But if any of you who are of an age like myself, who are old enough to remember a file folder, you know, it was a, it was a big pocket with a rubber band around it. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Give me nods if you remember uh, these kind of, of files that would open up like that. Okay. Uh, and then inside, when you would open up this file folder with all of these sections in the middle, there would be pockets where you could put things. Okay. And it's often as if we want to start at this end of the file folder and just go right over the top edge of it and just straight into, now you should believe in Jesus, when we should be opening up the folder. And we should see that it expands like this. And there's all of these places, all these things that people are feeling and asking and wondering, that the gospel has given us resources for. And so we have to slow down and we have to work through these things with people and listen and ask questions. And so it may be that in your work, you can be involved in these things through art. A lot of people appreciate art. So how can you do art at work? Well, this might mean taking your team or inviting a coworker to go to something like a concert or, or if uh, there is an art display in town that in some way relates to faith of some kind and just doing an activity together where you get a chance to spend t meaningful time and it may or may not be that at the end like this Christian artist says something about their faith and it sparks a, con a conversation. You see how, how that could be? Or even better to take your team or coworkers and volunteer together for a meaningful organization that you believe in. You see, if Christianity from its earliest days was providing medicine and care and adoption and these kind of things, why couldn't you just organize a project that makes Bentonville better? Just do something that makes our city a little cleaner, a little greener, a little more people-friendly, something that has the heart of Jesus in it, the way he cares for his creation and for people, and organize this thing because that is what Christians do. And in it, some opportunities may open up. Another idea here is affinity groups like Work Matters, the big Chick-fil-A work program that's hosted uh, every year, and sometimes area churches will host that, and they do this video cast. It's all about leadership in the workplace, but there's always faith in it. Find a program, something you can do as a team or with your coworkers to make yourself better employees and open up opportunities for the gospel at the same time. Here's one more for today because we're just thinking creatively. The third switchback, Christianity enters into dialogue. This is when you engage with somebody in a level playing field. You see, if they come to church, it's not a level playing field. We're moving towards that. Okay. But this is very much one direction oriented. So how do you do a level playing field? Reading a book together. I put book club in quotes because let's be honest, a lot of people don't really read books anymore. They do podcasts or whatever. But you, this could be a YouTube video that you watch. And you get together for lunch and you talk about it. And, and we're looking for the big questions in life that people have. What gives meaning to life? What gives hope to life? How do you endure suffering how do you love all people and not be judgmental? How do you do these big things in life? And you, you look and you talk and you think. And the whole time you're praying, you're thinking as a Christian in the days before and after about the gospel. 
And how has it shaped you to live and answer those questions of hope and identity? How do you get out of bed in the morning? And there's one you should look up on Google called the Veritas Forum. You should all look it up today. It's really worth your time. It is an academic endeavor where on college campuses, they'll bring in a Christian speaker and a secular speaker to talk about a big life question together. They'll, They'll explore life's hardest questions from both perspectives and give a level playing for people to think about it and to hear what Christianity has to offer because of Jesus. Church, it is not easy for you or for me or for any of us to try to move from the text of Scripture to the reality of living in 2019 in Northwest Arkansas. But I want to leave you with this encouragement from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15. After presenting the peace of the gospel called the resurrection, because it was being denied in Corinth, people saying there was no resurrection. And he says there's certainly a resurrection. And he spends a whole chapter talking about how important the resurrection is. He says, otherwise, we are without hope. At the end of that chapter, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. You know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You know that God through his spirit that raised Christ from the dead can create opportunities and spiritual growth in relationships that we thought were dead and in our own hearts at the same time. This is the Lord that we proclaim, that we imitate in baptism, that we remember in communion, and that we worship each and every Sunday. Let's stand together this morning and sing our final song. And if you'd like to come forward for prayers, we'd welcome you to do so. Bye.